Today on Ag News Daily. I think we see that business continue with China for the simple fact there's not a lot of other sources in the world that can supply the volume of beef the United States can. The other thing, China is very big on you know the quality that they buy. Good afternoon and welcome to a, another hashtag Market Monday episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr here flying solo the entire week, really, because Delaney is out on a tropical vacation, so definitely jealous of her there. But we are still going to be having episodes of the Ag News Daily Podcast this week. It's just going to be with me. So hopefully all goes well, especially today as I'm going to be handling the Market Monday conversation. But I think we have some great stuff in store, not just for today's market conversation, but for the rest of the week as well. I've got to say, I'm not looking forward to this week completely just because there is some cold weather expected here in Lubbock. It's supposed to be a light dusting of snow, maybe some freezing rain on Tuesday into Wednesday. So certainly not looking forward to that, but I am looking forward to today's news. So I'm going to go ahead and just kick things off here with some COVID-19 news, as well as some potential supply chain issues. We've seen now that Canadian pigs headed to the U.S. are getting stuck in Canada. While feed is back in the U.S., as new vaccine rules exasperate a labor shortage for truckers and railroad employees. Bloomberg reported that many weaned pigs could not be shipped to Iowa, Minnesota, and the Dakotas due to the lack of truck drivers. Many of the pigs are shipped out of Manitoba, and the Providence can't feed and process a surge of hogs domestically. At the same time, some truck shipments of soybean meal from the U.S. to Manitoba are also being limited. Canadian livestock producers say that this vaccine mandate could worsen the shipping issues. On January 15th, Canada's vaccine mandate took effect, meaning that Americans crossing into Canada need to be fully vaccinated and Canadians must quarantine when they return back to the country. Now, on January 22nd, the U.S. vaccine mandate rules on Canadians entering the country took effect. So there is a couple of things to take into consideration there. Vaccine mandates, labor issues, and potential supply chain issues. I say potential. I really think that this is going to be a supply chain issue when we're talking about getting pork to the shelves and getting feed to those who need it in Manitoba to actually grow these pigs. So a lot to take into consideration there, but we've been watching the development of vaccine mandates. We talked last week about how Carhartt instilled a vaccine, I keep saying vaccine mandate, I keep messing up my words there, but they instilled a vaccine mandate for their workers. And there's been a ton of backlash on social media, but haven't seen a whole lot uh, when it comes to this and maybe some other ad companies, but Still concerning nonetheless. For our Michigan listeners out there, this is pertaining to you because the state of Michigan is taking public comment on its proposed climate plan. The MI Healthy Climate Plan was drafted by the Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy and the Council on Climate Solutions to help the state work towards economy-wide carbon neutrality by mid-century. 
The department's plan includes enhancing carbon sequestration efforts on farms through developing legislation and funding to support farmers using best management conservation practices. It also recommends covering municipal solid waste, reducing food waste, and supporting composting and anaerobic digestion technologies. Listening sessions are slated for January 26th and February 8th, or written comments can be submitted to the department. So for any of our Michigan listeners out there, be sure to stay tuned in for that and maybe make some public comments of your own. Moving things across the pond here, have an update when it comes to bird flu. Of course, we just saw the first U.S. case of bird flu come through last week, but this case of bird flu is in the Netherlands. Authorities discovered an outbreak of a highly contagious strain of bird flu at a Dutch farm and said that they would cull about 170,000 chickens. Nearby farms in the Providence will be sealed off while tests for the H5N1 virus are conducted and to establish whether it has spread. An outbreak of the virus was also reported by the ministry at a farm in the southern province of Nord-Brabant, a separate statement said. Roughly 46,000 broiler chickens would be culled there. So not great news here. We're seeing this bird flu story really develop I don't think that it's raising a whole lot of red flags at the moment, at least here in the U.S., but we've seen a story similar to this before, so definitely going to keep my eyes peeled out for anything, you know, worldwide, but definitely here in the U.S. Some more poultry news here as we come back to the U.S. with this piece of news Pilgrim's Pride said on Friday before the weekend that it would raise starting wages for workers at its Mayfield, Kentucky production facility by $2, up to $16.50 an hour after the area was devastated by a chain of tornadoes back in December. We haven't really talked a whole lot about these tornadoes since they really happened. Don't know a whole lot off the top of my head about the damages or anything, but I do know that these tornadoes killed at least 64 people in Kentucky. It destroyed one of Pilgrim's chicken hatcheries and significantly damaged another, which supplied to farmers near Mayfield. The company negotiated the permanent pay increase with the UFCW Local 227 Workers Union for that Mayfield facility, which employs more than 1,500 people. The total wage increase amounts to $4.5 million on an annualized basis. And of course, this raise also comes at a time when the U.S. meatpacking sector faces large-scale staffing issues due to the spread of COVID-19, which was noted in this article that I read from Reuters. But I thought it was a heartwarming story that these people are getting an increased pay after these tornadoes. They're definitely still hurting out there. I saw another story earlier today about how they're building back agriculture in that Mayfield community. So maybe we can talk a little bit more about that sometime soon here on the podcast. But for now, just have one other story to talk about today coming from the White House as they announced $1.36 billion for wildfire recovery. Earlier today, the Biden administration said that they will spend this $1.36 billion on wildlife recovery, including $600 million in California alone. Secretary Vilsack joined VP 
Kamala Harris for the announcement. And he said that the USDA would put more than $48 million into projects to reduce the risk of wildfires where federal forests and grasslands meet privately owned land out west. Harris herself said that the, quote, climate crisis has almost everything to do with what we are seeing in terms of crisis wildfires. And the best way to fight, we believe, is to focus not only on reaction, but on prevention. The $48 million to be spread across 41 projects was built around a forest service strategy to thin forests, prune trees, conduct prescribed burns, and create fire breaks on large tracks to mitigate the chance of catastrophic wildfires. The money will come from a partnership between the Forest Service and the Natural Resources Conservation Service. An estimated 7.6 billion acres burned in wildfires just last year, including the Dixie Fire, which consumed 960,000 acres in Northern California and was the first fire known to cross the crest of the Sierra Nevada. I didn't think that wildfire prevention could really be a thing because these things just are intense. I feel like um, at, at times unknown, you know, at least living here in the plains of Texas, we're very dry, very windy. And of course, we know the, the environmental signs of potential wildfire weather. But when it comes to prevention, I didn't know that so much could really be in place. So I'm excited to see what these dollars go to and the work that they're doing out West. But that is all the time that I have to talk about news topics. So I'm going to go ahead and get into the markets here. Wheat today was really reacting to the intensifying conflict over between Russia and the Ukraine here. Corn followed a little bit as we talk about with Carl Setzer in our Market Monday conversation. Really anxious to get to that. So I'm going to go ahead and kick things off here in the corn contract front month up four and three quarter cents to close at 621. The May up three and a half cents to close at 617 and a half. In soybeans, the March contract down 11 and a quarter to close at 1403. The May down 12 cents to close at 1411. KC wheat here, the March contract up 24 and three quarter cents to close at 818. The May up 24 and a quarter to close at 820 and a half. Kicking things over to the livestock. Not great news here right across the screen when it comes to live and feeder cattle, which we'll get into further here in a moment. But the live cattle February contract down $1.60 to close at $136.32 and a half. The April down $2.02 two and cents to close at $140.07 and a half. Feeder cattle, the March contract down at $2.05, close at $161.25. The April down $1.75 to close at $166.37 and a half. In lean hogs, green across the screen here with some potentially shocking numbers. The April contract of 37 and a half cents to close at 95.32 and a half. The May closing 75 cents higher at 99.67 and a half. Closing things out with our class three dairy milk futures, the February contract down nine cents to close at 20.45. The March contract down 16 cents to close at 21.59. 
With that, I'm going to kick it over to my hashtag Market Monday conversation with Carl Setzer. Well, joining us here today for our Market Monday conversation this week is Carl Setzer, who is a Senior Commodity Risk Analyst at AgriVisor. Carl, thank you so much for joining us for this Market Monday, Market Monday conversation. Well, thanks for having me, Ashton. So, Carl, we're entering our fourth week of 2022 here, and you might be a little tired of talk, talking about the outlook for 2022, but I've been seeing some conversations about if it's going to be more bearish versus more bullish, but I'm seeing a a trend looking towards a little bit more of the bullish side this year. So I just want to get your thoughts on that and what the outlook you're predicting is going to be like this year. Yeah, I, I think this is going to be a year where we, we see a lot of uh, consolidation in the market, Ashton. And let's look back at, at last year and, and where we got to be to 2021. You know, we started out some big rallies in the corn futures back in early spring, um, you know, late May. And then again in June and July and August, we saw some peaks. And then we kind of faded in the harvest and when I say faded, we got down, you know, nearby corn back down to that $5 level after coming off of, of highs that's, you know, is around 640 a bushel. So we did see a correction. We've started to rally back and it's been a slow grind upwards, which is actually a better sign because the market can cor- correct itself on the way up. We see a little bit of profit taking. Um, you know, and the same thing taking place in soybeans. We had big rallies last spring, and then the market just kind of receded a little bit and, and, and regrouped, and now it's starting to show a little bit of strength as we get into 2022. Um, for those two, you know, I, I think we see a firm market outlook. I think we see some strength under the futures. Really, to say we're going to, you know, get much higher than we're at or we're going to continue to see values escalate is a little bit hard to really say at this time because of where we're at. We're still trading on the top side of $6 on corn. It's a lot easier to get $4 corn to rally than $6 corn. That could be a limiting factor for us, easily be a limiting factor for us moving forward. Same is true on the soybeans. It's a lot easier to rally $12 soybeans than it is $14 soybeans. I think we have some firm markets ahead of us as we head into 2022, especially in the planning season. You know, weather risk premium is definitely something we're going to see in this market. Um, you know, the, the acreage debate, we cannot afford to give up any acres of corn or soybeans or wheat for that matter. So we're going to see some strength underneath the market from a fundamental side. But Ashton, let's step back and look at the outside markets where we have this very heavily flow of uh, managed money coming in. And as we see inflation concerns and worries over interest rates, to see some of that money slow up and maybe leave the market and go back to, you know, the equities or the dollar or the energy complex or just simply be pulled out. That's something we got to very closely monitor because that is has been more and more of a factor in price discovery. And that doesn't, you know, managed money doesn't track our traditional fundamentals. So, well, I do think we have plenty of support underneath the market. 
you know, to say we're going to be bullish and keep rallying is, is, I think, a little bit premature at this time. At the same time, I don't see values falling apart with all of the, you know, uh, fundamental information we have. So I think we see a, a firm market, but, you know, definitely one that's going to hold steady and be volatile for the next several months. So, Carl, I kind of have a two-parter here because there's two, I would say, large things going on right now that are really going to impact the markets here. And the first being Chinese buying due to the end of the phase one trade deal. We've seen very little come out from um, U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai, and people have really been discussing on what our relationship with China is going to look like now that phase one is a done deal. So what are you thinking is going to happen when it comes down to Chinese purchases? You know, Ashton, I think we're going to see more of the same from China. I really do. Um, and by, by that, when the market dictates and the market is favorable for China, they're going to make purchases from the United States. When it's favorable for China to source needs from somebody else, they're going to go there for their for their their sources. I think soybeans are going to be a big one. The United States is going to, you know, now we have seen a little bit of the Chinese business come back due to concerns over the, you know, size of the soybean crop out of South America. But I don't think China's, you know, we're not going to gain back the business that we had back in, say, 2016, you know, 15, 14 years ago, just for the simple fact that even if this, the Brazilian soybean crop is a little bit smaller this year than initially forecast, it's still likely going to be one of the largest crops they've ever produced. So our overall demand, I think, is going to be steady. It's going to be good with China. I think they're going to show up and buy, and then they're going to walk away like they always have. They're going to spread out their purchases, um, you know, from more sources. China doesn't want to be locked into any one source for their needs. And that's, you know, the United States, Brazil, Argentina, you name it. They want to spread their risk out. One thing I do think we're going to see a lot more demand from out of China is is our beef uh, China finished last year with incredible beef purchases from the United States, 150,000 metric tons, and that was enough to give us record sales for the year on beef. I think we see that business continue with China for the simple fact there's not a lot of other sources in the world that can supply the volume of beef the United States can. And the other thing, China is very big on on their, uh, you know, the quality that they buy. And that isn't just the quality of the product, but also the safety certificates. And, you know, the, the BSE cases in Brazil and some of the animal diseases down there have deterred Chinese buying. So I, I think that's a benefit for the United States. And, of course, our ethanol. We can supply more ethanol, and China wants that. Chinese officials are saying they want to, you know, become more self-sufficient in the global market and produce more of their own crops. So that's something that I think is going to deter their buying, you know, for years to come, especially if they start bumping up their yields. So I guess what I'm saying is I don't, you know, I don't expect China to come back in and say, hey, let's do a phase two deal. And it's, you know, we're going to go forward with everything. But I don't think China is going to walk away from us. They're going to buy as much as they can from us when the market dictates and when it's favorable for them, same as they've always done. Um, you know, like today, for example, last week, our export loadings, half the soybeans we loaded out went to China. 
and about 25% of the corn. I think them are just trends that we're going to see continue, um, you know, with, with China, especially with Ukraine, if Ukraine and Russia get into a a bit of a debate over there, you know, the military issue that could easily bring a little bit more Chinese buying to the United States, especially on corn and a few other buyers as well. So there's some, from bright spots for our business with China, but I think overall we're a tad bit limited in what we'll see, Ash. So, Carl, you mentioned there the Ukraine and Russia debacle, I'll call it, and there has been a lot going on and a couple of news stories actually coming out today about what's going on over there and how it's really going to impact the market. So can we dive just a little bit deeper into the generalized idea of what will happen to the markets if we see this develop? Yeah, and that's it's a little bit of what we saw take place today, Ashton, in the market. We saw, um, you know, tensions definitely flaring up and escalating. And, and when we saw the United States come out and tell all citizens to leave Ukraine, um, it might have seemed like a panic move, but then we saw Britain do the same thing. We have several countries coming up, pulling their citizens out. It, it tells us that something is imminent and going to happen. There's two things that could happen. Number one, this could be a classic case of, you know, sell the rumor, buy the fact. When we look at the equity markets, you know, the the stock market down hard today, U.S. dollar up, energy is also under pressure. We've also seen a tremendous amount of buying in the grains, the you know, especially wheat. Ukraine is, is a big supplier of wheat to the global market, um, as is Russia. And if we see... Uh, you know, exports halted over there, uh, you know, definitely could bring the United States some more business. And this is why we've seen wheat rally and futures climb above the $8 mark. It's also given our corn some support. Um, I, I think that, you know, we'll have to see what happens and not so much if Russia invades Ukraine, because I think most traders are, are believing it's going to happen. The thing is, is what's the reaction if they do? Will we see the United States take military action? Will we see NATO take a military action? Or will we see economic sanctions placed on on Russia? Will we see, um, you know, will China just go across the border and, and, and to prove they can and then withdraw troops immediately? So I think we have to see what happens. I don't expect this to turn into a huge full-scale war by any means, but it's enough that it could disrupt everything, you know, internally. And when we have a market that's already seen the high volatility that we've seen in the last several months, Ashton, I think it's going to escalate that a little bit to start. But if it's, you know, kind of a one-and-done type scenario and, and Russia just wants to prove a point, the, the reaction is going to be very muted and, and we could go back to, you know, somewhat normal market trade within, you know, a matter of weeks. The longer it takes for something to get, you know, figured out between the two, um, I think the you know, the, obviously the more impact it'll have. It's really tough to say what the long-term effect will be right now um, because Ukraine is getting a little bit, you know, they're slowing down a little bit on their export program. But the thing we have to remember is a lot of the Ukraine's exports that they have on the books that maybe they need to load out are going to China. And China hasn't weighed in on this factor yet. They could be the sleeping giant. Um, if they start condemning Russia, 
that could be a game changer in the, in the whole, you know, global outlook. And that's something I think we got to really focus on. Well, for now, Carl, let's focus on where markets ended for today. We've been talking a little bit, of course, about grains, soybeans, and soybeans were down across the board today. So what's going on there? Yeah, we saw, you know, the, the mixed trade, like I said, wheat up a little bit here. We we had the wheat finish higher due to the fact of the risk premium that's flowing into the market. Um, you know, soybeans under pressure, a little bit better weather forecasts in South America. Uh, you know, some of the yield reports we're getting out of Brazil, not quite as bad as we thought. Uh, and protein content and oil content in Brazil's new crop soybeans that they've taken out higher than what the United States had in our crop that we just harvested last fall. That could be a game changer, even though Brazilian soybeans are right now trading about 10 cents higher than what the U.S. market is. Buyers are willing to pay that premium for a timely shipment because they can get shipment a lot quicker out of South America right now. And B, the quality. If they can get these high quality soybeans delivered with high oil and high protein, they'll pay that premium. The United States then has to look at where do we have to go with our values to become more of of a price alternative. And that's what led to a lot of the pressure we saw in soybeans today, along with we did see crude oil drop a little over two bucks a barrel today, gasoline futures down as well. That put pressure on soybeans, the simple fact that, you know, crude oil uh, and and biodiesel kind of go hand in hand right now. So we're going to keep an eye on that. And like I said, corn more of a follower today, really followed the wheat market higher. Not a lot of fresh news in corn today at all. That's why we kind of just, you know, two, three cents higher versus the 20 plus cents that we had in the wheat complex. So this is my final question here, Carl. It's talking about livestock, particularly feeder and live cattle. Both were down today, and the March feeder cattle contract was down over $4 about midday. It didn't close as as low, but what's going on in the cattle markets from a live and feeder perspective? Yeah, we had kind of two strikes against cattle here today. Number one, we got that cattle on feed report that we reacted to from last week. Trade a little bit surprised coming out. Now, the on-feed number was 101% of a year ago. That doesn't seem like a big deal. But at 12.04 million head of cattle being fed in the United States right now, that's the second highest volume on record. So that that put us a little pressure on. The thing is, placements at 106% of what we had in December 2020 versus DC 21, that came in, like I said, 6% higher 1.96 million head of of cattle being placed, that was an all-time high. And when we look at that, and all of a sudden we're starting to see a a little bit slower slaughter place because of COVID and some other issues, that's putting a damper on on livestock right now. And for example, we got the December beef production report, beef production in the month of December up 6% from a year ago. And that's coming from, even though we do have the slower slaughter numbers, Animals are coming in six pounds per head heavier than last year. You can get by with less slaughter numbers if you have these fatter animals coming in. So that put a little bit of pressure on it. And of course, you know, the feeder cattle, um, even though we got big placements in the month of December, since then, 
feeders have started to look at these high corn, high wheat, high soybean prices and say, you know what, it doesn't pencil out when feeder cattle are up around this $160 mark and your fat cattle are only at $135. So a correction took place there. I wouldn't be too surprised if we see that continue. And as long as we're on the topic of livestock, you got to look at hogs. Hogs put in another big day today. We got that May contract knocking on the door, $99. Even though hogs are overvalued, our, our pork exports are good, but they're not fantastic. That market really starting to get top heavy here, Ashton. If we're going to see a big correction in the livestock, I expect hogs to take one as well. You know, that completely slipped my mind, that uh, knocking on $99 there in lean hogs today. So I'm glad that you brought that up, Carl. But unfortunately, we are really all out of time and honestly questions here for our Market Monday conversation. But we certainly appreciate you coming on and chatting with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks again there to Carl for coming on and chatting with us about the markets there. Really enjoyed that conversation, especially as we look at things that are really going to be impacting the markets here in 2022, short and long term as we look at Chinese purchases and what's going on in the Ukraine and what's going on between the Ukraine and Russia. We're going to continue to talk about that story there as it continuously just builds momentum like Carl said, a couple of different things going on in the news today. So we will continuously report on that here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. But folks, if you don't want to miss anything going on in the markets or in the news, be sure to subscribe and listen to the Ag News Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen, of course, at agnewsdaily.com as well. With that, I'm going to let the people go.